Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, who keeps truth forever, and who never forsakes the works of his own hands. Amen. Congregation, let us continue our worship with singing from Psalter 251. 251, we'll sing all the stanzas you may notice in each of the Psalters that we sing tonight has a reference to God as our King, as the King. And that is because that is the focus of our, of our uh, psalm this, this, this evening. So, 251, all the stanzas.
now in your Bibles to Psalm 93. Psalm 93, this will be the scripture reading for this evening, and our focus will be on the entire psalm, a short psalm, but as we hope to see, a psalm full of gospel comfort and also gospel challenge. So Psalm 93, hear now the word of our God. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he has girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becomes thine house, O Lord, forever. So far, God's word may he bless the reading of his word to our hearts. And now we have the privilege and opportunity of confessing our faith together with the church of all times and places. And so I invite you to say with me, in your heart. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us continue in our worship by singing from Psalter 265. 265, all the stanzas. Thank you. 
Let us now pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on our time together and also pray for his kingdom. O Lord, our God, you of whom we have sung of your faithfulness several times already this evening, we give you praise and glory and thanks for all your work. You, O Lord, are a God who is like no other. There is none that compares to you. You are supreme in Zion, exalted gloriously. And so, Lord, we bow before you, recognizing and acknowledging what a privilege, what a blessing, what a calling it is to bow before your throne, before the throne of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has revealed himself as the king of his church. You are the defender and the preserver of your people. And so, O oh Lord, we, we come and we give you the glory and the praise. You are the overflowing fountain of all good. And you are the sovereign ruler over all. And we come, O oh Lord, with our requests, but also with our confessions. Our confessions of sin before you as we reflect on what we have just read what we have just sung about your kingship, about your majesty and authority and sovereignty and power. For Lord, we confess that of ourselves, we, we struggle to, even as your people, to acknowledge you as the king who reigns. And we so often, O oh Lord, want to live our own ways. We are more concerned so often about our kingdoms, our little kingdoms, instead of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we confess this before you and we ask that you would cleanse us, that you would forgive us. We pray that you would put in our hearts a passion for your glory, a passion for your kingdom. That we would live our lives, not for ourselves, but for you the one who has bought your people, your church, with your, the precious blood of your Son. And so, O oh Lord, we pray that you would cause your, your kingdom to come and your name to be hallowed, that in our lives there would be holiness, there would be devotion to you, that you, O oh Lord, would also cause thy word to have a powerful impact as it goes forth, we pray that you would bless your word throughout this world, whether that be here in North America or across the world, up north or down south. Oh Lord, we ask that you would prosper and bless your word as you have promised, we, because we plead it according to your promise that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purposes for which you have sent it. And Lord, is not the purpose, is not the purpose of your word also to save sinners, to bring sinners into your kingdom, to transfer them from the power of Satan into the power of God, to give them light instead of darkness. 
And so we ask that you would so bless your word. Bless all missionaries who seek to bring your word throughout this world as they serve in different ways. And whether that be directly preaching your word or whether that be supporting it through various means and coming alongside uh, the people of the nations to bring them your word and to disciple them in your ways. Bless each and every one that is faithful to you. And Lord, we do pray that you would call more laborers again to the harvest. We pray that you would bless this congregation and the witness of this congregation in in Monarch and in here in southern Alberta. Lord, that you would cause this church to be a bright and a shining light as as a city on a hill, pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his grace, to his mercy, to his gospel. So, Lord, that through us as a congregation, many would be brought in to the praise of your great name. We ask, O Lord, that you remember also our brothers and sisters in Christ, your dear children who are suffering for your namesake. We pray for the persecuted church. Lord, we lift them up before you as those, as if we are chained with them. And we plead for them and with them, O Lord, that you would sustain them in this hour that you have uh, put upon them. That they would know your presence and your strength. That they would have the courage and the boldness to be faithful and to stand firm in the face of great temptation and great persecution, suffering. We pray, O Lord, that you would be with those in prison that you would be with those who are in hiding, and those of your people who have to meet in secret, that you would protect them, that you would surround them with your favor as with a shield, and that it would be evident to the, the enemies of your church that you are God, and that even through the testimony of your people, your enemies might be brought to bow the knee to King Jesus. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would Remember also the troubles and, and trials we see in the world around us. It's, we, we live in a broken world and we confess, O oh Lord, that it is a result of sin. And we know that these things are, are meant to call us to confess sin, to recognize sin, and the horror of it, to recognize that there is a God who, ju- who will judge. So we ask that you would work through these, these things, the, the situation in Ukraine and elsewhere in the world, places that we don't hear of as much in the news. But Lord, we ask that you would work by your spirit and word to bring gospel peace to those places. We do pray that you would bring an end to the war, also in Ukraine, to the suffering of so many people. And bless your church in the midst of that that place, that they also would be a, a bright and shining light and that you would bless their witness as they seek to reach out with the gospel to a people worn and, and torn by war. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would remember our, our own leaders. We pray for Prime Minister Trudeau. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would work in his heart, that he would humble himself before you and come to realize his need of you. But we do pray, Lord, that you would also guide him and direct his heart that he would rule in a way that brings honor to you even if he himself is not aware of it. 
And so, Lord, we ask that you would grant him and also all of our leaders to rule in a way that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. We pray for our own provincial situation here, O Lord, with the recent resignation of our premier, although he will remain for the time being until they choose a new premier. Lord, we ask that you would um, give wisdom and guidance to him. We thank you for the years he has served, and Lord, we pray that he too would recognize his dependence on you and seek your grace, and that you would also appoint a new leader, O Lord, in his place who would also, who would, who would rule according to your word, humbly and dependently. So, Lord, we pray that you remember your church in the midst of this world. And we ask, O Lord, that as you have been faithful in the past, so you would be faithful even now. That as we turn our attention to Psalm 93, that you would reveal something of your majesty and strength to us, something of who you are, and that you would comfort your people, that you would call sinners to yourself. For we pray it in the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give of your gifts and offerings, and, and then in preparation for the sermon, we will sing from Psalter 252, 252, based on Psalm 93, and we'll sing all the verses.
In response to the sermon, we will sing together from Psalter 260, 260, and we'll sing uh, verses 1, 2, 4, and 5. The board says 3, that was my mistake. It should be 260 stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 5. Well, dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, some time ago I was told by someone that at the end of World War II, when the Netherlands was liberated from the Nazis by the Allies, many pastors in the churches there preached from Psalm 93, the psalm which we just read and, and sang. A psalm that begins with these words, The Lord reigns. In many ways, it's a fitting psalm for such an occasion, isn't it? For when we have just experienced God's help and deliverance and answer to our prayers, some even think, some commentators think that it was written, Psalm 93 was written at a time like that, at a time when the psalmist, or perhaps Israel as a nation, experienced God's amazing help, His amazing deliverance in some way, perhaps when Israel returned from exile. But the question may rise in your minds, and why Psalm 93 now, tonight, at this time? Because I think if we are honest, if we look around at the world, if we look across the Atlantic and we, we look at Ukraine and Russia, or if we look even within our own nation with the laws that are being passed, restricting Christianity more and more, liberation is hardly the word to describe it. It is hardly the word to describe the times in which we live. So why, why listen to a message on Psalm 93 now? Well, there's two reasons. First is, we don't know for sure when it was written. But second, and more importantly, the truth that it emphasizes, the truth that the Lord reigns, is a timeless truth. And it is particularly during difficult times, during times of upheaval and anxiety, during times of seeming instability and times of increasing opposition to God and to His church. It is during times of great spiritual struggles in our own lives, times of spiritual darkness in the world and even in the church. It is in these times, times in which we are living, that we especially need to be reminded of this truth. The Lord reigns. It is a truth that calls each of us, whatever your present relationship to this Lord is, this King is tonight, it calls all of us to wholeheartedly worship, to trust, and to submit to Him at all times. And so with God's help, we want to consider Psalm 93 this evening under the theme, The Lord Reigns. We will see first that He reigns supreme over all creation. Secondly, He reigns triumphant over all opposition. And thirdly, he reigns worthy of all our devotion. In the first place, then, the Lord reigns supreme over all creation. The psalm begins with the words that we have taken for our theme, the Lord reigns. And if you look in your English Bibles, we see, you'll see a comma after this short sentence. But an exclamation mark would probably be better. Because, you see, it's a, it's a ringing declaration. The Lord reigns. 
The Hebrew emphasizes this, and it especially emphasizes those first two words, the Lord. They boldly declare then that the Lord is supreme, that He, the self-sufficient Creator and the Redeemer of His people, He alone is the supreme King. He reigns, not the devil, not Baal or any other idol. Not the leader of any, or king of any city or nation, no matter how great and powerful it may be. Not even the earthly king of Israel. No, the psalmist says, the Lord reigns. He and he alone. And he doesn't reign just over Israel. He doesn't reign just over Judah or over the Middle East. It says that the Lord reigns, exclamation mark. That means he also reigns, congregation, in Russia and in Ukraine. That means he also reigns in Canada, in Alberta, and right here in Monarch. He reigns supreme over all creation. Don't we need this reminder? What if this simple declaration, the Lord reigns, had appeared at the end of every news article you read in the past weeks and months? At the end, if it came at the end of every news report you listened to? The Lord reigns. Wouldn't it have changed the way we sometimes or even often react to the things that are going on around us in the world? But perhaps you say, well, it's not so easy to see that the Lord reigns. And that's true. It isn't, is it? In the past year and especially in the last few months and weeks, how often hasn't the world and and perhaps even your own life seemed out of control? And perhaps that is why then the psalmist, inspired by the Holy Spirit, doesn't just declare, he also demonstrates that the Lord reigns. Look at how verse 1 continues. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he has girded himself. I imagine some of you children here, at least if you're like my children, like to play king and queen once in a while. And maybe part of when you play king and queen, you make a paper crown and you, and you put some, some jewels around it. Either you color them or you, you put some plastic, little plastic jewels on the crown, you glue them on. And, and maybe you, you find something that you can wear as a cape or, or as a robe. Well, why do you do that, children? Because you know, don't you? You know that somehow that, that part of being a king or queen is looking impressive, looking majestic, looking stately and dignified, looking glorious more glorious in comparison to to anything else, like the way Jesus described Solomon as being in all his glory. A congregation compared to God, even the robes of a king like Solomon are like rags, because the Lord's robe is majesty itself. What is majesty? Something that's easier to to sense, perhaps, than to define. You could think of it as, as the greatness of God that is beyond description. It is all of, his, all of His glorious attributes, all of His perfections. Majesty is God's greatness and His glory that reveals His authority and control and that produces or should produce in us awe and reverence before Him. The Lord who reigns supreme over everything is clothed with this majesty. And that means that in every place and with every single event, He is in control. He is directing all things. 
Isn't that reason then to humbly bow and worship Him? And isn't it reason to trust and submit to Him? Because the Lord is not only clothed with majesty, He is also clothed with strength. He has girded Himself with strength. You know, in the Old Testament times, when the kings would go out to battle, they would, they would often take a belt and, 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 and gird up their robes, their kingly robes, so that they could go out and, and move easier in the battle, so that they could fight. And that's the picture here. In the, in the same way, but a much greater way, the Lord has girded himself, not with a belt, but with strength. He is a king, you see, who is armed and who is ready for battle, armed with his own almighty power and strength. And this word for, that is used here for, his, for strength is the same word that is used to refer to his power to create all things, his strength in creating all things. It's the same power and strength he uses to preserve all things. And it's this power and strength by which he made everything and preserves everything by his word that he is armed with to defend the glory of his name and to work for the ultimate good of his dear people and also to bring down his enemies. Well, do you know, dear congregation, do you know the comfort of God's majesty and strength? You see what it means? It means that the circumstances that take us by surprise so often, they do not take Him by surprise. The things that cause us fear and anxiety do not cause the Lord fear and anxiety because He reigns. He reigns supreme and He is at all times robed in majesty and He has girded, girded Himself with strength. And that means, beloved congregation, that He is a God that you and I can rely on. But maybe you say, how can I know that for sure? Where, where is the evidence that the Lord is really reigning, that He is really in control? Well, the psalmist continues in the second part of verse 1. He says, the world also, or you could translate, surely is established that it cannot be moved. You see, it is because the Lord reigns supreme that the result is that the world is established. That testifies to the Lord's majesty and to His strength and therefore also to His reliability. But we need to stop here for a moment because I think that many of us can read this and we can, we can wonder, can't we? Is this really true? The world is established. The world cannot be moved. What, what about Russia and Ukraine? What about all the turmoil in the world? What about all the brokenness, all the suffering? Well, congregation, the, the psalm does not mean here by saying that the world is established so that it can, cannot be moved. It doesn't mean that there isn't any turmoil in the world. But what it does mean, it means rather that the world is established in the hands of God so that the whole world with its turmoil can never go outside of God's hands. It can never go outside of His authority or out of His control. It cannot be moved outside of His sovereignty. You know, sometimes we, we think or say the world is spinning out of control. But you know, God never says or even thinks that. Because the entire world is His. He made it and He governs it. Putin hasn't changed that. Trudeau hasn't changed that. The resignation of our premier hasn't changed that. Nothing has changed that. Nothing can change that. 
in the midst of all that happens in the world, whether it happens on the other side of the globe or whether it happens right here in our own lives. In all that, the midst of all that we cannot understand, we can rest in this King, in our Lord, because He is in complete control. And what's more, He has always been in control. Look at verse 2. Thy throne is established of old. His throne has always been there. It is eternal. And it has never sat empty. Because the one who is clothed with majesty and girded with strength has never been absent from his throne. He himself, you see, he himself is eternal. Thou art from everlasting. The Lord reigns supreme over all creation. He always has. And that means, dear beloved, that he always will. The one who is and who reigns from everlasting will also be and reign to everlasting, to all eternity. He is king. Have you come to terms with that? Also for yourself or not? Maybe you say, I, I don't see anything attractive about this king his majesty, his power. Maybe for you, this description of the Lord generates fear in your heart rather than faith. Oh, then let me show you. Let me show you for just a moment the beauty of his majesty and strength. You see, this king, this Lord, has girded himself with strength in the person of his son. By his strength, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was conceived as a human baby, as a human being in Mary's womb. By his strength, that Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, he, he accomplished salvation for sinners by dying on a cross and by rising again from the dead. And by that same strength, he, through the Holy Spirit, also applies salvation by grace alone, convicting of sin and regenerating the hearts of lost sinners. Sinners like you and me who have no majesty in themselves and who have no strength to save themselves. Oh, what reason then? Don't you see? Don't you see that we have to cry out to Him in all our poverty and in all our weakness because He is a majestic and He is a strong and almighty King, a Savior King. Do you see the beauty of this King? Yes, indeed, the Lord reigns supreme over all creation. Beloved, if by grace through faith he is your God in Christ Jesus, what sure hope you have? Because you see, if the world is in the hands of the Lord so that it cannot be moved, how much more is this congregation and how much more are you, dear believer? Has Christ not said of his sheep that they shall never perish and that no man and nothing shall be able to pluck them out of his hand and out of his Father's hand? Maybe you, maybe you think, well, what about all the opposition to the Lord? All the opposition that we have seen and, and still see around us in the world, and so often, so often don't we have to admit, also find even within us. You know, this brings us to our second point. The Lord reigns supreme, not only, not only supreme over all creation, but he also reigns triumphant over all opposition. In verse 3, describes this opposition with the picture of a storm. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. 
Can you sense the urgency? Can you sense the growing intensity in this verse? Picture it for a moment. Picture yourself standing on the bank of a river or or maybe in a boat in the middle of a river. And all of a sudden you are caught by surprise in a violent, sudden storm. First you notice the waves becoming higher and higher. The floods have lifted up. And then then you hear the noise of the rushing water as it becomes more intense. The floods have lifted up their voice. But all of a sudden, there is no time to escape. All of a sudden, you are in the middle of the storm. And the, and, the, and the floods lift or are lifting up their waves, pounding waves that are threatening to crush everything and anything in its path. The floods are lifting up. Isn't this the cry of the church? Isn't this the cry of every single Christian at different times in his or her life? I grew up in the, in the Fraser Valley in B.C. And you may remember that last fall they had severe flooding because of several large rainstorms. And a little over a week, one storm came after another, causing landslides, flooding major highways, killing farm animals and even several people and ruining fields and, and houses. That's the kind of raging flood. I'm sure you've had floods like these here too, That's the kind of raging flood that the psalm describes in verse 3. And it is meant, these floods, these these, these waves are meant not not simply as a picture of of mere trials that we experience and troubles and inconveniences. This is a picture of opposition to God. It's a picture of rebellion against God. It's a picture, congregation, of all the forces of evil. You see, the Lord reigns, yes, but the ungodly world doesn't want Him to. The Lord reigns, yes, but Satan and his demons don't want him to. And so they resist him, they defy him, and they oppose him, and they oppose his people. They do everything they can to overthrow his kingdom. They deny that he reigns, or they deny that he even exists. They ignore his laws. They try to replace them with laws that they think are better. They sow division in churches. They try to entice the, the church to, to God's people to worldliness. And when that doesn't work, they persecute them. And don't we see all these things? Don't we see all these things happening in the world around us, even in our own nation? The floods have lifted up. The floods have lifted up their voice. But the floods are not just out there, are they? They can also be in here. They can also be right here in our own hearts. Every unregenerate heart is in its entirety like a flood lifting up its waves, rebelling against God, resisting God, trying to eliminate God. Does that describe anyone's heart this evening? What is the solution? The only solution, congregation, is to be born again. Because it is only when the Spirit works effectually in your heart and changes it that you become, that your heart becomes submissive, begins to become submissive to God. Yet even when we are born again, even when we are Christians, don't we often find floods? Don't we find we so often have to struggle against the floods of indwelling sin? Paul spoke of this reality in Galatians 5, verse 17, when he said, The flesh lusts against the spirit, 
and the spirit against the flesh and flesh and these are contrary to one another perhaps that's how you feel this evening perhaps you came to church looking at your heart and life and seeing so much inward corruption still so much remaining sin that it feels like a flood it feels like you are about to be overwhelmed and smashed to pieces and so you feel with Paul and you say with Paul in your heart oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death the floods what does the psalm teach us to do about the floods it teaches us to pray about them doesn't it did you catch that the floods have lifted up oh lord the psalmist brings the floods that threaten to overwhelm him whether they're outside or whether they're inside he brings them to the lord who is above the floods Congregation, I ask you, I ask myself tonight, is that what we do? You see, the floods, yes, the floods can seem so mighty. They can seem so terrifying. But the Lord reigns also over the floods. Look at verse 4. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Oh, what marvelous comfort this verse congregation has brought to myriads of God's people throughout history. If you've ever been to the ocean, maybe you've, been, maybe you've visited Ontario and you've visited the Great Lakes. I don't know if you have any big lakes here where you have this kind of thing, but sometimes you can, you can walk along the shore of the ocean or one of those lakes and if it's a rocky shore, you, I remember one time walking at night on a stormy night, the wind was howling and the waves were just coming in and smashing against those rocks and, and, and just the spray was going so high. And that's a little bit what like spiritual what spiritual opposition often feels and looks like. But no matter how strong, no matter how terrifying those floods look, they cannot overcome God. The spray of the waves doesn't come near the Lord, for he is on high. He is infinitely beyond the reach of all opposition. And in fact, he even controls it. His throne is established and firm. He is above the noise. He is above the waves. As Psalm 29 verse 10 says, the Lord sits. He sits upon the floods. He sits as king forever. The floods can only go so loud and so far and so high as he permits. And in an instant, this is our God, in an instant, he can bring call. No matter how much the water, no matter how mighty the waves, no matter how strong the storm of opposition and evil, the Lord is mightier. He can calm the storm at any moment with simply a word. Children, do you remember how he did that when he was on earth? Do you remember how when he once was in a boat with his disciples, and, and, and the floods were, were crashing, the waters were crashing over, the waves were crashing over into the boat. And what was Jesus doing? He was in the bottom of the boat. He was sleeping, wasn't he? The disciples weren't sleeping. They were, they were anxious. They were concerned. They were afraid. And so they come to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us. We are perishing. 
And what did he do? He arose and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great call. The Lord reigns triumphant over all opposition. Now how foolish it is then, isn't it, to oppose the Lord, to fight against Him, to resist His authority. How foolish it is, above all, to, to ignore and reject His Son, whom He has set as King upon His holy hill of Zion. Remember, congregation, do you remember how the Lord responds in Psalm 2 to those who rebel and resist and rage against Him? He laughs at them. He holds them in derision. And he warns them that if they continue to rebel, he will break them with a rod of iron. Congregation, is there anyone here who is fighting God? I urge you, on the basis of our text, stop. Stop for your soul's sake. Stop rebelling. Submit to God and to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has also poured out his Spirit to conquer and to subdue sinners of every stripe to himself, who is willing to make, who, who can make us willing to truly believe on him. And dear believer, here tonight, even when you still find so much opposition in your own heart, remember the Lord reigns. You're my sin of this past week, of this past day. Yes, it was evil. Yes, it was wicked. But it cannot overcome the infinite grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because where sin abounds, the Bible says, grace does much more abound. Because of his sacrifice, all of our sins can be washed away. So bring them to him. Whatever they are, he is ready to forgive. And he promises to sanctify his people. Do you see, congregation, what reason we have to worship and to trust this Lord, the one who reigns triumphant over all opposition? You know, if he did not, if the Lord was not reigning, if he did not reign, where would you be tonight? I'm going to venture to say there would be no one here. I wouldn't be here. The opposition would have been too much for all of us. But because the Lord is on high, we are here this evening. And so how beautiful then in this light and, and relevant in this light are the three verses from Psalter 353 based on Psalm 124 where the psalmist says, quoting from the Psalter version, Now Israel may say, and that in truth, if that the Lord had not our right maintained, if that the Lord had not with us remained, when cruel men against us rose to strive, we surely had been swallowed up alive. Yea, when their wrath against us fiercely rose, the swelling tide had o'er us spread its wave. The raging stream had then become our grave. The surging flood in proudly swelling roll most surely then had overwhelmed our soul. Blessed be the Lord who made us not their prey. As from the snare a bird escapeth free, their net is rent, and so escaped are we. Our only help is in Jehovah's name, who made the earth and all the heavenly frame. The Lord reigns. He reigns supreme over all creation. 
and he reigns triumphant over all opposition. This leads the psalmist to confess in the last verse of this psalm, verse 5, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becomes thine house, O Lord, forever. What this verse teaches us, congregation, now in our last point, is that the Lord reigns worthy. He reigns worthy of all our devotion. He is worthy because, first of all, in light of his unchanging laws, the verse begins this way. He begins, it begins by extolling God's testimonies. Thy testimonies are very sure. And the word testimony here refers to God's word and especially his laws. Exodus 21 verse, or 31 rather, verse 18 speaks of the Ten Commandments as the testimony. You see, God's law testifies. It gives witness to the character of God. God has graciously revealed this law that testifies to him, to, to us, through his word, so that we might know how to live in service, in thankful service to him. And it is a sure law. It is a firm law. It is a true law. It is an unchanging law. It is a trustworthy testimony. Why? Because he, the Lord himself, to whom this law testifies, is sure and unchanging. He is faithful and true. And he reigns. Supreme and triumphant. You know, if you move to another country or another province even, you don't always know all the laws right away. And that can leave you sometimes feeling on edge. What if you break one of the laws? Or what if, what if the laws are, are constantly changing? We, we would always be unsure. Uh, are we doing what is right? Are we keeping the law? We don't have to worry about that with God's laws, with His testimonies. The reading of the law every week in church reminds us, congregation, audibly, that God's laws don't change. They are very sure, more sure than the laws of the Medes and Persians. Not one of the Ten Commandments you see ever changes or becomes obsolete. Nothing can ever override them. That means two things. First, we don't need to wonder what God is calling us to do. His law is firm, summed up in those two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. We don't need to wonder what to do, what God is calling us to do. But secondly, we have no excuse for not doing what he has called us to do. His laws, his testimonies are very sure. But do you see with me, congregation, then how this calls and enables you even to serve the Lord as your king? We are not to rely, you see, we don't need to rely, we, we may not rely on our own ideas about how to please God. We are not to judge ourselves or others by man-made standards, but rather independence on Christ and in thanksgiving to God for His great salvation. We are to believe God's words and live obediently to it. He is worthy, not only in light of his unchanging laws, but also in light of the holiness that belongs to his house. Holiness, the psalmist says in the last line, becomes thine house, O Lord, forever. We all know what it's like to have a house, don't we? It's a place where we live. Do you ever think much about this fact that God has a house? That God has a place where he dwells. In the Old Testament, it was pictured for us with the tabernacle and temple. And children, you may remember that, that temple, that tabernacle was made up of several rooms. Do you remember what the very middle room 
was called? It was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Because it was where the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence and throne, was. You see, he himself was saying with that that most holy place, with that ark, that he was pleased to dwell there. And because he himself is supremely holy, he himself is set apart from everything and everyone else, he is, and he himself is without any imperfection, therefore the house where he dwells, the place where he especially manifests his presence, is and must be most holy. It and everything in it must be devoted entirely to him. A holy house is the only house suitable for God. That is what the word becomes means here. It's an old word. We don't really use it this way today anymore, but it means basically to be suitable or to be appropriate. We could maybe translate it this way. Holiness belongs to thy house, O Lord, forever. But how does that apply today? The Old Testament temple is gone. The tabernacle is gone. But God's house congregation is not. You see, the temple, the tabernacle, was only a picture and a type of the New Testament church whose members from every nation, like the stones of the temple, are by grace being built up into a spiritual house. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 21, that in him, in Christ, all the building fitly framed together grows unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation, for a dwelling place, for a house of God through the Spirit. Where is God's house today? It's the church. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. If you are a believer here tonight, you are part of God's house. But that also means that you are called to be holy. You are called to live a life of holiness. The Lord says to us in his word multiple times, be holy for I am holy. Be totally devoted to God. That's what holiness really means, to be totally devoted to him. Congregation, does that describe your life? Does that describe my life? Who of us can say we have arrived? The reality is that if holiness belongs to the Lord's house, if a holy house is the only house suitable for God, then we all deserve to be barred forever from that house. Someone recently said to me, my sins deserve death. That's true, isn't it? Do you realize that too? Your sins deserve death. My sins deserve my death. That's what we deserve. Even the holiest of God's redeemed people on this side of eternity still find so much opposition to God in their own hearts and lives. You may wonder, how can a holy God ever want me? How can he ever have me in his house? congregation, the answer to that question is found again at the beginning of this psalm. It's found in the Lord who reigns. Because ultimately, you see, the Lord who reigns is Jesus Christ. He is the King. 
He is the one who from all eternity was in is clothed, robed with majesty and heavenly majesty. And he is the one who has girded himself with strength and who has come to this earth to redeem sinners by that strength, to, to redeem sinners and slaves of Satan for himself. And it is through and for Christ, whose throne is fixed, that the world is also firmly established so that it cannot be moved. Christ, you see, is the one who more than anyone else faced the raging floods of opposition. Not, of course, in his own heart, of his own heart. He never had any indwelling sin, but he had, he had opposition to him. And he had temptations. He was a human being just like us. But it is he who is mightier than the noise of many waters. It is he who walked on the stormy water of the Sea of Galilee. And it is he who through his death on the cross destroyed the works of the devil, crushed the serpent's head, and suffered the wrath of God for the sins of all God's people. He purchased the church by his own blood. And then he rose from the dead. He triumphed, didn't he? He triumphed over sin and over death and the grave. And it is Christ who is now exalted high in heaven and whose word is now therefore ever faithful and ever sure so that unholy sinners, sinners like you and me here this evening, can be called by God and joined, joined to his house and made holy, conformed to his own, his own image. Congregation, we can be part of God's house because He reigns in grace. Because it is Christ, you see, whose house we are through faith in Him. That is why God has promised to walk, to dwell in His church and to walk among us. And so as Paul exhorted the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, having therefore these promises, these great gospel realities, congregation, Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Yes, let us do so in dependence on Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit. For he is worthy. He reigns. He reigns supreme over all creation, triumphant over all opposition, and worthy of all our devotion. Yes, he reigns above all in and through his Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, then let us be wise. Let us all and each and every one be wise and submit to Christ and confess by faith in Him the Lord reigns. Amen.
give thanks. Lord, we do praise your name and glorify you for the reality that you reign, that you are never absent from your throne. Lord, we thank you for the comfort this gives us in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of our questions and our fears and anxieties that you are in control. You have authority over all things and you are working out all things according to your purpose. So we thank you and we give you the praise and honor. And we pray, O Lord, that as we have also seen the high calling that you give us as your subjects to be holy, even as you are holy, uh, we thank you, Lord, that you also are the Lord, the King who promises to help your people and to keep them. And so, Lord, we we go into this week and we ask, oh, Lord, help us, strengthen us, help us, enable us to put sin to death, to live holy, to live lives wholly devoted, completely and totally devoted to you in our work, in our homes, in our school. And, Lord, give us many opportunities to tell others about the King we serve, the King who is good and who is so full of grace. And we pray, O Lord, that if there are any here, those here who are not yet submissive, submitting to your rule and your reign, that you would bring them under your power. That by your Holy Spirit, you would melt their hearts so that they would see their need and they would repent and put their trust in you and know the joy of having you as their king. And so, Lord, enable us to say each and every day, also with every, anything that will happen this week, that the Lord reigns until the very day that we will stand in your presence and we will worship you with all the people of God and shout and sing, the Lord reigns. So bless us and help us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, let us sing from Psalter 257, 257, verses 1, 2, 4, and 5.
doxology will be Psalter 196. Let us go into this new week now with the following prayer in our hearts. May the grace of Christ the Savior and the Father's boundless love with the Holy Spirit's favor rest upon us from above. Amen.